again for those kind words and for all of you for your prayers and encouragement uh, for Joyce and for me and for uh, all of our ministers and staff and our families. Uh, We feel a great sense of support from this church family and we appreciate that. It's gotten us through some hard days and some hard weeks and some hard uh, months uh, to be able to see smiling faces is a great, great blessing and to know those uh, to see those faces in our hearts and our minds when you're not able to be here such as the many that are watching online uh, today and we uh, welcome you as has been said uh, as well ancient words um, that give us hope and help us cope (laughs) we're all living right there aren't we Um, relying on the ancient words of the bible relying on each other and the opportunities we have like today to gather around the Lord's table together either here or in a a home somewhere or to be able to share contact through uh, telephone or texting or emails or so many other wonderful uh, ways that God has blessed us with through technology to be able to remain connected Um, and uh, and that is uh, such a great great Blessing. As Davey shared, we are uh, through a few weeks of a study of the Lord's Prayer. And I know most of us, many of us, have a uh, Church of Christ background in our uh, history and heritage. And so I don't want you to raise your hands, uh, either here or at home. You can raise them if you want. Um, it is America, so, you know, feel free. But, um, Uh, You can send me a text message if you want, if you're at home, and say, yes, I raised my hand, Bill, at home, and that'll be great. I'd love to hear from you. Um, But I want to ask a question, especially for those of us who come from a Church of Christ background, uh, as the Yellow Pages would designate us, Um, and that is, how many sermon series have you heard on the Lord's Prayer? For some of you, you may have had several, and that's great. For others of you, you may remember one or two. For some of us, I think, we might not be able to remember ever a series on the Lord's Prayer. And so I'm going to tell you why that is, if you don't already know, because it's the subject and the topic of our message today. Uh, It's that one little line in the prayer that says what? Thy kingdom come. And so we have drawn a line in the sand and died on the hill that says we can't pray the Lord's Prayer anymore because the kingdom has already come. And that is unfortunate. And I hate that for us. Because we missed out on some of the great, great teaching that Christ offered us about how to pray and what to pray. And we have failed to remember that when Matthew wrote those words, (laughs) the church had been in existence for decades. And yet he still included that as a model prayer for us. And for some who aren't very familiar with Churches of Christ and our history, we are very, very centered and focused on the ancient words, the words of Scripture, specifically in this day and time since the cross of Christ and the beginning of the church on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, uh, the New Testament. And we make no apologies for that. That is the right thing for us to do. And we are are very appreciative of that scripture and use that as our foundation. And the first question we always ask 
when we're thinking about how we should worship, how we should live, how we should treat one another is, what does the Bible say? And is this something that Scripture uh, affirms? And if the answer to that first question is no, then we stop there because there's no other question after that. If the answer is yes, then there will be some other questions such as, is it best? Is it appropriate for our day and time? Is, is it the most helpful way to do this biblically? Uh, other questions, but if the first question is answered no, that it is not uh, affirmed and authorized and blessed in the teaching of Scripture, either specifically or uh, through the principles of Scripture that we find, then then we stop there. Um, and God help us if that ever ceases to be the case. And so some have seen that one line in this prayer, thy kingdom come, and have said, well, we, don't, we shouldn't be praying that anymore because the kingdom came on the day of Pentecost. And I want you to know that in one sense, that is certainly true. In fact, I just said that a few moments ago, that the church began in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. I believe that. Jesus prophesied in Matthew 16, 18, upon this rock, that he is the Son of God, as Peter had just confessed, I will build my church. So it wasn't in existence when Jesus said those things, and yet from Acts 2 on, it is spoken of in the present. And so we understand that from that perspective, The church began in Acts 2, approximately A.D. 30. Uh, Many signs on many church buildings through the years have said A.D. 33. Uh, I was very young then, so I don't remember the exact year, but it was somewhere in that A.D. 30 to A.D. 33 or 4 time. But the kingdom didn't stop coming then. And that's what we fail to remember. Because every time there's a new heart that gives themselves over to Jesus, just like our dear sister Karen did this past week, the kingdom comes. Just like whenever there is a person who reads these ancient words and they experience certain things in their lives that cause that teaching to maybe have a new application and a new understanding and a, and a new emphasis and a new meaning and a new inspiration to be more faithful more Christ-like, in those moments, the kingdom comes. The kingdom comes. And when Matthew was writing his gospel and when Luke was writing his gospel and talked about this prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, they included that statement. They included that prayer. And so this morning, we begin with this little disclaimer and this little apologetic uh, Apologetics is a very important field, and it doesn't mean you're apologizing as in saying I'm sorry for something. It means exactly the opposite. You're saying I'm defending something. And so I believe it's completely right and appropriate and essential for us as Christians to pray, Thy kingdom come, just as surely it is essential for us as Christians to pray the Great Commission, that that may come as well, and that we will be blessed in the making of of disciples. And so the first line in the sermon today is the kingdom Christ taught us to pray to come is the church. And every single one of us that is a believer and a disciple of Jesus Christ wants the church to come. 
We want the church to be established in the hearts and lives of people. We want the church to spread its borders so that people around the world, including right in our own neighborhood, in some cases in our own family, will receive that kingdom and will acknowledge the lordship of Jesus Christ. And as Karen did, will be baptized into Christ for forgiveness of their sins and will be raised to live a new life in the kingdom. In the kingdom. And so as we've begun this this prayer and this study of the Lord's Prayer, we've spoken about our Father who is in heaven, that presence of the Father, that ability to call him what Jesus called him, our Father, that presence that continues now with the Holy Spirit, and we pray that his name would be hallowed and his name would be holy. It is holy. We're praying that we would keep it that way and that through our lives and our words that we would acknowledge that holiness and that no one would question it because of that. I shared some of these things and the uh, importance of the Lord's Prayer in our first lesson, but I wanted us to take a look as we begin today at those words uh, in Scripture that affirm this very thing. And so I want us to begin really in Colossians chapter 1. Jesus taught us to pray, not just his disciples in the first century, but taught us to pray, thy kingdom come. He wants his kingdom to come today in the lives of people that don't know him or that don't know him well. And the method that he has chosen to make that happen is, guess what, you and me. (laughs) By our words, but first of all, by our lives. And the church in the first century, in spite of all the difficulties it was having and all the trouble that sharing the message of Christ caused them, the church still grew and the kingdom still came. You know, one of the great temptations of preachers is to uh, uh, share the, uh, the final ump, this is the one, uh, before it's time. So risking that, I'm going to go ahead and do it. <laughs> the troubles that we're experiencing today make this an ideal time for the kingdom to come. We should not look at this as, oh my goodness, is the church going to survive 2020 and the dumpster fire that it is? (laughs) And the answer to that question is yes. And there's a related question, and that is this. Can the kingdom come? Can the church expand in 2020? And just as Chad shared in that wonderful communion meditation, There's a lot of craziness out there, and there's a lot of fear, and there's a lot of anxiety. And I think as the church, what we need to do is acknowledge the difficulty. It's okay for us to say this is a crazy, difficult, hard time. This is an unprecedented time. But at the same time, we respond to that with faith in Christ and with trust in him, which we'll get to next week with the next line in this prayer. Do you remember what comes after thy kingdom come? One of the hardest, hardest, I believe the hardest thing for us to pray. What is it? Thy will be done. To really pray that and to really mean it and to really be okay with whatever that is, that takes faith. 
and in the midst of the world that cannot live by sight right now, even though in this country that's how we've lived, even in the church. And now that's been kind of thrown out the window, and now we have to live by faith. Can we do it? It's a great opportunity for us to establish that faith and to grow that faith, but it's also an opportunity for us to share that faith and to help other people see in us an acknowledgement of the difficulties that we are facing, but at the same time, a sense of peace and calm that God will see us through this. I believe that makes this an ideal time for the kingdom to come and for his word to be shared. Colossians 1, written in the midst of the first century, the church had been around for a few decades. The the persecution was hot and heavy. People were being dragged to prison. They were being beaten. They were being flogged. They were being threatened. They were being killed because of their faith in Christ. And yet the kingdom grew. And as Paul writes to the church at Colossae in modern day Turkey, he tells them that the church is the kingdom and that the kingdom is spreading. Colossians 1, first of all, verses 3 through 6. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, he tells them, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. So if you're looking for a nice little three-point outline on faith, hope, and love, there it is right there. This faith and love that you're living that brings you hope. What an important message for our time. Continuing in Colossians 1 verse 6. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant and faithful minister in Christ, who is from Colossae, as best we can tell, and may very well have been the guy that Paul sent there with this letter. The kingdom is coming, he says, and the gospel has been bearing fruit in your life, in your city, in your church, and throughout the whole world, even in this most difficult time. And so we skip down to verse 12. Paul says this, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. We're all in that kingdom. Those who have named that name of Christ, who have had our sins washed away in that watery grave of baptism and been raised to live a new life. Paul affirms that, giving joyful thanks because All of us have been qualified through Jesus Christ, not through anything we've said or done. That has only made it harder. That's what made the death of Christ essential, actually. But because he died and was raised again, we are now qualified to be a part of that kingdom that Jesus prayed would come. Then beginning in verse 13, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I believe that if Paul had wanted to, he could have put the word church there and it would have been exactly the same. He has translated us into the church of his dear son. 
And in the same way, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The kingdom Christ taught us to pray to come is the church. And he told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they were clothed with power from on high. And that was when the church began. But the kingdom, the church, still comes today. And he still wants us to be praying for that to happen. He continues on in verse 15 of Colossians 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Much like what John said in John 1. For in him, Christ, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is creator. Verse 17, he is the preeminent one. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is sustainer. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. The church and the kingdom are used synonymously in in Colossians chapter 1. Paul doesn't see any distinction whatsoever. And that church, that kingdom is not bound by the way nations and kingdoms are bound in our world. And that was Jesus' whole point when he interacted with Pilate. And Pilate thought he had trapped him. You remember that in those chapters in John, and John 18 and 19 leading up to his crucifixion? When he's being cross-examined by Pilate and, and, and Jesus himself says, My what? My kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate says, ah, you are a king then, right? And Jesus says, well, yes. What he could have said there is, I am not just a king, I am the king. (laughs) But he says, my kingdom isn't of this world. If it were, then my soldiers, my army, my defenders would be here fighting for me. But because it's not of this world, there's a different plan. And so you don't see the kind of boundaries that we see in the world today. And you don't see the same victory that you see in the world today. Victory by human standards is by might. As the great old song says, only the strong survive. I had to work that in there somehow. But that, that's true from a worldly perspective. That's not true from a Christian perspective with this caveat. We are the strongest through Jesus Christ. We can do all things, but only through him. And so the things that happen to us, even though the world may look at it and they say, wow, that was a huge defeat, God uses it to bring about victory. God uses it to grow his church. God uses it that his kingdom might come. And that's the whole message of the cross. And that's why when all those people were down there and they were making fun of him after they had done everything that Chad said, they had spit on him and they had threatened him and they had beat him and they had mocked him and they had put a crown of thorns on his head. And finally they nailed those nails in and brought about his death on the cross. When they said, come down right now from there and we'll believe you, he could have done it and they would have believed him. It just wouldn't have brought about their salvation. And that's why he stayed. That's why he stayed. 
so that his kingdom could come. We continue on, skipping down to verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Verse 23, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. And once again, we get lost in a shuffle that is not Paul's point. And I'm just as guilty as the next person because I want to have that discussion like Nicodemus wanted to have all night with Jesus. I want to come to him and say, so did you mean every single living person in the known world? Did you mean every single person in all the world, some of which hadn't even been discovered yet by the people that you were living around? Or did you mean something else? Guess what? That is not the point. That is not the point. It's, it's, it's a great thing, to, and, and it's fun to keep preachers and theologians off the streets at night you know, because it keeps us busy. But other than that, it has no value. What's his point? This gospel is being preached and proclaimed everywhere. Everywhere. But wait, the Roman Empire is trying to destroy the church. I know, and they're failing. Why? Because the kingdom continues to come. And how is that happening? Paul tells the the Colossians, it's happening through you. Because you are living the life of Christ and you are sharing that message as to why you live that life. And people around you, some of them don't get it, but some of them do. And the ones that do, they say yes. They say yes to Christ's kingdom. The kingdom still needs to come in people's lives today. Nothing has changed there. When the gospel is shared and people accept the message of Christ, the kingdom of Christ comes in people's hearts and lives today. In this time of pandemic and of economic uncertainty, in these days of racial, social, and political conflict, there is a great, there is a great need for the gospel of Christ and the peace of Christ to be shared with individuals who are struggling. It is an ideal time to be praying and working for God's kingdom to come in the lives of those around us. Why? Because more and more people around us recognize the need that everything that they had trusted in and had based their lives and their their safety and their uh, security on have failed them. But there's only one thing that won't fail them, and that is the kingdom of Christ. And so a few things this morning. First of all, Jesus called us to share the gospel with our lives and with our words so that his kingdom could come. You have several passages of scripture there that mark the Great Commission. That time when Jesus ascended and he says, I've got a plan to take this message and this salvation to the whole world, and it's you. (laughs) You're my plan. You tell somebody and train them and help them and equip them so that they can tell somebody and you live this out in front of people. And that's where we see those scripture passages in Matthew 5 and in 1 Peter 2. When Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. And he says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your God in heaven, your father in heaven. Peter says much the same thing in 1 Peter 2. 
that though there are people who will challenge you and who will uh, 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 arrest you and who will beat you and, and who will question you and all of those things, Peter says, in the midst of that, they will be won over by your good deeds. They'll see that that life continues. The song we sang earlier, abiding in Jesus like him thou shalt be, thy friends in thy what? Conduct. His likeness shall see. That's where it starts. And we don't get a break from that because we're in the middle of a pandemic and economic problems and a political year that is absolutely bonkers and everything else. All of those things are true. We don't deny any of them. But we also don't let them define who we are and they, we don't let them determine how we live. Because when we live by faith in the midst of these times, we have a greater witness than we have ever had in good times. And what will happen, as Peter says in 1 Peter 3, is that people will notice and they will ask, how can you live with such faith and such peace in the midst of such an insecure, volatile time. And that's when you tell them that my peace and my security is not based on who won the last election any more than it's based on who will win the next one. It is based on my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'd love to tell you about how that happened. Secondly, the early church experienced Christ's kingdom coming in difficult times. One of the most amazing things as you read through those chapters in the book of Acts is how the church grew. Jesus ascended in Acts chapter 1, gave his marching orders to the church in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 to be his witnesses. In chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and the church began and 3,000 were added to the church that day and, and more every day after that. And then in chapter 4, there was a great, wonderful, uh, in chapter 3, there was a great and wonderful uh, healing that took place by Peter and John. And then the authorities, the Jewish authorities, called them in and, and questioned them about it. And that whole incident takes on chapters 3 and 4. And finally, they threaten them and they say, look, you can't preach any longer in this name or else it's going to go badly for you. And, and they respond and say, look, you decide whether we should follow you or God. You, there's no other name under heaven that can be preached where people can be saved than the name Jesus Christ. We're going to keep talking about it. You do what you have to do, but we're going to keep sharing this message. And that's demonstrated in Acts chapter 5. And they get arrested for it. In Acts chapter 5, we read these words of how the church grew in spite of the difficulties. In, in Acts chapter 5, there was a problem with inside the church where you had two Christians, Ananias and Sapphira, who lied about a gift they gave because they were giving in spite of what Jesus said in Matthew 6 so that others would see them and praise them and not God. And God struck them dead. Isn't it a nice thing that God doesn't still do that all the time? <laughs> Yay. <laughs> but he did it that day. And so what happened? Well, exactly what you would expect happened. In, in Acts chapter 5, verse 11, these words, great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. And you may question a lot of scriptures, but I bet you don't question that one. <laughs> 
that'll get your attention, won't it? So the church stopped growing, right? Because they were so afraid of what God might do if they did the wrong thing. We keep reading in Acts 5, verse 12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade, still in Jerusalem there in the temple area. No one else dared join them, verse 13, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, verse 14, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. (laughs) And you want to say, well, which verse is true? They're both true. They're both true. Why? It was a difficult time. It was a hard time. They began to be persecuted in this chapter. All of the apostles were arrested. An angel of the Lord delivered them, and then they were arrested again the next day, and they were all beaten and flogged and threatened. And yet what happened in Acts chapter 5, verse 40? As they decide what to do about them, the apostles are called in and they are flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. But wait a minute, wasn't it going to cause them trouble? Yes. Weren't some of them going to be even arrested and beaten and killed for the faith? Yes. In just the next couple of chapters, the first Christian martyr story is told. That great preacher Stephen. And in just a few chapters, the first apostle martyred will be called. In his story, James, the brother of John. But it didn't stop them from telling the story and it didn't stop people from signing on. The early church experienced Christ's kingdom coming in difficult times, and so can we. So can we. So lastly today, the time for the kingdom to come. Harvest time is now. It's now. Don't you love that story in John 4 where Jesus interacts with this outcast, this nobody, this not just a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman? who tries to get there at the well so that she can get her water without anybody seeing her and giving her a hard time. And yet now there's this Jewish man there and and her heart sinks. And then Jesus interacts with her and talks to her and encourages her. Even one of the rare times where Jesus actually confesses and acknowledges that he is the Messiah is to that Samaritan woman in John 4. And when the disciples come back, she leaves. (laughs) Because she knows what's going to happen then. And they say, what are you doing talking to this woman? Don't, don't you need to eat something? We need to go get something to eat. And Jesus says, I've got, I've got food you're not even thinking about. He's beside himself. Why? Because the kingdom has come. The kingdom has come. And that woman believes that Jesus is the Messiah. And she goes home and she tells everybody in the village that has always made fun of her and considered her an outcast because of her life of sin. They listen to her and they go back and they hear Jesus for themselves and then they believe as well. The fields are ready for harvest, Jesus says. The time for the kingdom to come, harvest time is now. And it's the same thing that Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3. Look, no matter who gets the credit, I planted, Apollos watered, it's always God who gives the increase. It's always God who makes the kingdom come. So you do your part, whatever that part is. 
And you may not even ever see the results. What a great relationship we have with our brothers and sisters in Nebraska. How the kingdom has come in the lives of people up there because of the efforts of so many of you and so many of them. That's what Paul says when he says, look, God gives the increase. Time for the kingdom to come, harvest time, is now. So before we close today, a couple of thoughts about our 2020 vision. Do you remember when we were talking about our 2020 vision, when we had so many great plans for how wonderful 2020 was going to be, and we had it all laid out, and it was going to be... <laughs> was that like a lifetime ago? <laughs> well, guess what? I think that 2020 vision is just as effective and promising today as it was in January. Our 2020 vision calls us to, first of all, look up, to grow spiritually, to consider those ancient words, to grow in our own faith. Our 2020 vision calls us to reach in, to grow in love and unity. Do we not need each other more right now than we ever dreamed we would in January? Absolutely we do. Our 2020 vision calls us to grow out to grow numerically. You say, but Bill, look around. We're nowhere near 400. (laughs) Well, true. But guess what? The kingdom is still coming. And the church is still growing. And all of our family members from here at West Irwin and all of our friends from other places and some of those people that we don't even know are watching online. They're watching on our website at westerwin.com or they're watching on our Facebook pages or they're looking at the Bible classes that we have on Sundays that you can take part in this afternoon or they're looking at a Facebook study through the book of Acts on Tuesdays and Thursdays at four led by some crazy preacher somewhere. The kingdom is still coming. It's still coming. And guess what? People need it now more than they thought they would have needed it in January of this year. In many ways, now is an ideal time to invite others to learn more about Christ and to learn more about West Irwin. How do you do that, Bill? Well, check up on them. Give them a call. Ask them how they're doing. And ask them another question right after that. Ask them this, what can I pray about for you this week? What can I pray about for you this week? And then invite them to our online stuff. Tell them how to get there. Let them know it's there. It's there. And then encourage them to take part. The craziness that Chad talked about in this time that our shepherd David Hammond prayed about and that we began this service with, as Danny shared, is is unprecedented. I don't know about you, but I'm ready for some precedented times. (laughs) I'll be okay when that happens again, but it's not today, and it's not this week, and it's not this month, but it will come. In the meantime, the kingdom continues to come. The church continues to grow. So as we close, who are you praying for today to receive Christ's kingdom? Who specifically do you know that needs to know Christ or needs to know him better now more than ever? Who are you praying for every day that the kingdom would come in their lives and in their hearts?
And secondly, what are you doing to help Christ's kingdom come in their lives? What are you doing to help them? How are you helping share the gospel with them? And maybe it's just telling them how to watch online. But maybe it can be more. We want as many as possible to share in the joy of Christ's return and his deliverance. Oh, what a day, glorious day that will be. If you need help preparing for that day, come as we stand and sing together.